To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. everybody. Uh, welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry. With me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Good to be here. And real quick, just to get the show started, if you would like to support the show, uh, we, there's a donate link on our website, and $15 gets you an unreleased episode, which is quite good, about finding your own personal talents. Uh, and $35 gets you three guided meditations by t- Dr. Carl Totten. Uh, your support is uh, appreciated. This show does take a certain amount of time and energy uh, for us to uh, get it out there. On today's show, we're going to talk about uh, Li Tzu. Am I saying that right? Li Tzu, Lei Tzu? Yeah, you know, the speaking Chinese is always a... Uh, <laughs> it's never been my forte. A, a, a path fraught with dangers, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't uh, you know, born Chinese, that is. Yes. <laughs> then it's very natural. Yes. Uh, so we lead Tzu, and then also we've got chapters 50 and 56, should time abide. Um, so we mentioned briefly mentioned Li Tzu on the last show, and he's kind of, I would say, kind of the third guy on the rung of Taoists, right? We've got, you know, Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, The Way and Its Power. We've got mm-hmm. Chong Tzu, who wrote the inner chapters. Mm-hmm. And then the next part that is considered canon... Taoist canon would be Li Tzu, who uh, basically the book is just called the Book of Li Tzu. Mm-hmm. He wrote, um, and it's eight chapters. Um, and so I decided I, I thought it would be cool to go over chapter one, which in this version is translation by someone named A. C. Graham. Not to be confused with A. C. Green, who played for the Lakers in the eighties. <laughs> and and uh, I was you know reading just some little research upon the, 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 this text. And scholars have long recognized that it shares you know, many passages with other pre-Han texts like the Tronsu and the Tao Te Ching. Um, but opinion is divided as to whether it is an ancient work with later interpretations or forgery yeah. <laughs> confected from ancient sources. <laughs> but isn't that Taoist, right? Yeah. For it to be a forgery? <laughs> it kind of makes it more punk rock, right? You know? <laughs> So who knows? But yeah, I always say that you know w- w- I'll take wisdom wherever it comes from. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't have to prove its uh, provenance to me. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Carlos Castaneda. You know, did 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 Don Juan really exist, or did uh, uh, did Carlos just make him up? <laughs> right. You know, who knows? Well, yeah. Does it matter? And does it matter? No. You know, because I have, I, have, I always tell people, you know, I I know what a master sounds like. And there's a master's voice in there somewhere. So whether it's uh, Don Juan or whether it's Carlos, you're listening to a master. So uh, Li Tzu, 
I, I love the introduction to him in the uh, beginning of this. Okay, so the, the idea is, uh, according to the author, the theme of this chapter is reconciliation with death. It begins by stating its metaphysical premises. All things follow a cor course of growth and decline between birth and death. Nothing can escape change except the Tao, from which they come to which they return. A series of anecdotes follows, illustrating the theme that we should accept death with equanimity. And uh, the, in this chapter, Li Tzu also discusses how uh, the universe began, which is very close to how we understand it through the, the idea of the Big Bang. That the universe began with the condensa uh, condensation of qi out of the void. And qi is, is uh, called breath uh, by Li Tzu. And it's also um, energy. So it's like this big burst of energy came out of the void. And uh, the relatively light and pure qi rising to become heaven and the heavy and impure becoming earth. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty crazy because if you look at you know the Big Bang and how... Um, different elements came together to create rock planets and different things to create gas planets and all these different elements found their own found their own way mm -hmm. right based on their own inner nature creating this whole thing yeah right if that's a vague way of putting it um, this chapter gives a number of separate reasons for reconciling ourselves to death and even the final destruction of heaven and earth individual identity is an illusion and the birth and death of the individual are merely episodes in the endless transformation of chi. The nothingness from which we came is our true home, from which we cannot stay for long. So let's get into Li Tzu. Hmm. You know, there's a passage in here where they say something like, from, actually from the first chapter, it said, you know, the uh, chaos means that all things are chaotically intermixed and are not yet separated from one another. The pure and lighter elements tending upwards made the heavens. The grosser and heavier elements tending downwards made the earth, substance, and it became us. So heaven and earth, can each containing a spiritual element, all things were evolved and produced. See, so it was a way of kind of looking at how forces of, of nature in the universe interact with each other and work and, and working together comprise a, a whole right you know? but of course us being products of one dimension of that uh, totality m might tend to split things into, you know, as above, so below. As within, so without. Heavens above, earth below. And whereas, of course, the unification of heaven and earth, which is, of course, what all of the ancient Taoist uh, masters were advocating, of course, has become one of the main practices of um, uh, meditation and qigong. You know, there's actually a meditation called the unification of heaven and earth, you know, and it's a particular type of breathing and conscious practice of meditation. Now, when uh, and when they talk about heaven, lots of times they're talking about kind of the ether or kind of space or what is above us for the most part, right? In part, yes, and and also in remember remember we're talking about back to the beginning about the Big Bang, right? And mm -hmm. out of the Big Bang, what happened? You know, you had what 
condensed energy that came out of a void, essentially. Right. And, and you had stars, right? And quasars exploding and sending plasma energy out into the universe. And that, so that's the heavens. And out of that, it eventually congealed into our planets and Earth and us. You know, and that's why they say we literally are stardust. Yeah, all of us. So there's not an atom in your body that wasn't forged in the furnace of the sun. Exactly. That's crazy. But if you it's, just woke up in every day and thought that, probably your everybody's perception would change, right? Exactly. And so one of the things that I try to do, and I try to teach, and when I'm teaching meditation, is to try to get people to feel that, because it's if it's just an abstract idea, or I read that in a book somewhere. That's much less meaningful than if you can actually feel your own energetic nature, your own vitality as a as as a star, mm-hmm. you know, as this glowing ember of life that's radiating energy all over the universe, just like the stars did. Each of us is is, is kind of a star yeah. in that sense. And and if we like you said, if we could actually experience that, feel that every day. Uh, I think life on this planet would be un- almost unrecognizable. <laughs> it would be so different than it is now. <laughs> I-, I think Sly Stone said it best. Everybody is a star. That's right. <laughs> and and uh, who was it? Uh, John Lennon. Who the heck do you think you are? A superstar? Or right you are. <laughs> we all shine on like the moon and the stars. And the That's sun. right. <laughs> uh, so when this story begins... Uh, I love this, um, the way it starts. It says, Li Tzu was living in Patutian, the game preserve of the state of Chang. Forty years, no one noticed him. <laughs> For forty years, no one noticed him, and the prince and the nobles and the high officials of the state regarded him as one of the common people. There was a famine in Chang, so he left to move to Wei. And I love the idea, it's like you're starting this story off about you know, some great Taoist sage. Mm-hmm. For 40 years, nobody noticed him. <laughs> so for those of you who have reached your 40-year mark and don't think you've been noticed, you could be a sage, right? This is open to everybody, you know. Just wait. <laughs> your day is coming. <laughs> so as, you know, there's a famine, which, you know, back then, I'm sure they were probably, uh, happened more often than now. You know, it's not like there was a Walmart. You can go... <laughs> get some cornflakes at if there's no food there's no food right and um, so right as he's ready to make this journey one of his students says you know could you give us a teaching before you go and so he decides to discuss about how heaven and earth were born and so in this uh, the word breath in here is, is chi which is kind of seen as energy just for some clarity mm-hmm. and um, Li Tzu says there was a primal simplicity there was a primal commencement, and there were primal beginnings, and there was a primal material. The primal simplicity preceded the appearance of the breath, which is the energy or the chi. The primal commencement was the beginning of the breath. The primal beginnings were the breath beginning to assume shape. The primal material was the breath when it began to assume substance. Breath, shape, and substance were complete, but things were not yet separated from each other. Hence, the name confusion. Confusion means that the myriad things were confounded and yet not separate from each other. 
So as you were talking about the chaos, Dr. Todd, mm-hmm. about the 10,000 things, about how everything is connected, but we only see them as individual items. Mm-hmm. Looking, you do not see it. Listening, you do not hear it. Groping, you do not touch it. Hence the name simple. The simple had no shape nor bounds. The simple altered and became one, and from one altered to sevenfold, from sevenfold to ninefold, becoming ninefold is the last of the alterations of the breath. Then it reverted to unity. Unity is the beginning of the alterations of shape. The pure light rose to become heaven. The muddy and heavy fell to become earth. The breath, which harmoniously blended both, became man. Hence the essences contained by heaven and earth in the birth and changing of the myriad things. Hmm. So it really is funny that knowing what they knew knew then about... Science and everything. This this was what? How many was was this like the year three hundred or was it three hundred BC or BCE mm-hmm. or yes yes. And so you know, knowing what they knew then, they had this concept of reality which was close to the Big Bang, right? Which is how um, uh, you know many people, unless they're creationists, mm-hmm. see how the world was came about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty heavy, you know. You know, I'm always impressed at how these ancient sages' perception of reality uh, corresponds to what we now know from astronomy and from quantum physics. You know, it's really quite remarkable. You know, many of us, of course, have read, you know, the classic book called The Tao of Physics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, which points out a lot of these uh, correlations, you know, between what were these people were saying, you know, over 2,000 years ago, and, you know, and what the, you know, quantum mechanics is saying today. Yeah. Um, what, was it, what was it in their perceptual capacity that allowed them to see this and write about this that long ago that only now, through science, we're discovering? Yeah. Um, and one of the most remarkable things I, I love about this is that I, I, I often say that Eventually, and, and it's happening now, science and spirituality will come together and they'll be the same field. Mm. It's a search for what is, for, for truth. And whether we come from the perspective of the scientist who has a, uh, uh, a hypothesis and is then conducting experiments to prove or disprove it, or we're coming from the perspective of a person who's doing meditation and is pondering you know feelings and perceptions and perspectives and energies and trying to integrate them into a cohesive whole so that we can perceive them accurately and understand them i, I so, so you know are we coming from the yang are we coming from the yin uh, and maybe we need both mm-hmm. because when those two are put together i think we have it whatever right. it is it is it's a big revelation. I've had a few times in the middle of the desert with the music blaring. It is, man. It just is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. I remember I was at a rave in the middle of the desert, and I was uh, having a bit of a personal revelation. I was in my uh, early 20s. <laughs> I was 20, I think. And I'm walking through the floor of the desert, and there's all these people around me. And I turned to my buddy, and I said, it's all about being, man. And then some, some random guy walked back and goes, no, man, it's all about becoming. <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's see here. So within this first chapter, there's one other part I'd like to highlight. And somehow Confucius makes his way into 
into this book. Um, and Confucius um, is kind of roaming about on a mountain, and he sees this man who is like 90 years old. He's very old, and he's joyously farming in a fur coat, and he's kind of singing to himself. Mm. And Confucius is kind of confounded. Confucius is confounded. <laughs> he's confounded, he is, by uh, this man and how he's behaving and why he's so joyous given that he's old and probably, you know, in pain and, you know, all that. And he asked the man, and uh, this is the part where there's, you know, again, we were talking about looking at things in the past and judging them by today's standards. There's a little bit of sexism in this piece <laughs> right here, so trigger warning. Um, and he talks to this old man, and he says, well, I have very many joys. Of the myriad things which heaven begot mankind is the most noble, and I have the luck to be human. This is my first joy. <laughs> of the two sexes, men are ranked higher than women, therefore it is noble to be a man. I have the luck to be a man, and this is my second joy. People are born who do not live a day in a month and never get out of their swaddling clothes, but I've already lived in 90, and this is my third joy. For all men, poverty is the norm and death is the end. Abiding by the norm, awaiting my end, what is there to be concerned about? And again, you know, this is kind of contrary to the Tao when we say know the, know the masculine but keep to the feminine. They mm -hmm. talk kind of the power of femininity. Mm -hmm. So this old codger uh, is a bit wrong there, but he does have a great point. And he's saying, you know, um, you know that life is kind of poverty and death is the end. And so he's... He's accepted that, much like the vinegar tasters where Lao Tzu is smiling because it tastes sour. You know, and this guy has accepted that, so it doesn't bother him. He's not striving for anything more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting take when you see lots of times where they have, you know, all these stories about depression and anxiety and suicide in America. And you don't find those things so much even in places which are much less developed and where there's a lot more poverty. Yeah. Because in a way, people have accepted kind of their situation, and I'm not saying that it's, it's good to just kind of be resigned to things in life, but there's something about being, uh, you know, not being told, hey, you know, in America you're being told you're going to be rich one day and you're going to be famous and you're going to have everything and you're going to have all the power, and then most people don't get that, and they get mad, and they yes. get upset, and they, they internalize it, they think they're a loser, right, and so then they externalize it, and they go and they... They shoot up a Walmart, right? <laughs> and, then, and then people just have a normal anxiety about maybe their lack of success in certain material ways. And I think it, it burdens people. In the same way, you know, as we were reading in um, Eric Fromm, how choice and freedom brings upon anxiety. And, but then it, you'll have some places where people are oriented differently and they're not expecting those things. And they appreciate their families and they appreciate the lives that they have. Mm -hmm and that health when they have it, and they wind up actually being happier, more joyous people. Yes. I saw this when I was in India, and there are people that were living in squalor. Honestly, it was distressing to me. And, but I was talking to my friend. I said, but notice these people, they don't seem to be upset by it. You know, obviously, you know, they have their stresses, and I'm not making a case, you know, a, a weird case that America is some horrifying place. But I think the idea is that these expectations that are not met burden people in heavy ways. It's like the same ways you don't see the same type of violence in Canada or the same levels of things like depression and all that because I think people in Canada aren't realized being told from the womb that they're going to be on the moon one day and that um, they're going to be rich and, and all that. And 
You know, one of the chapters of the uh, the uh, Leeds here, uh, he actually quotes uh, Chance, where he says Chance once told a story about two persons who both lost a sheep. Mm. One person got very depressed and lost himself in drinking, sex, gambling to try to forget his misfortune. Well, if you're going to lose yourself, why not? <laughs> why not? There's worse ways. You know? The other person decided that this would be an excellent chance for him to study the classics and quietly observe the subtleties of nature. Both men experienced the same misfortune, but one man lost himself because he was too attached to the experience of loss, while the other found himself because he was able to let go of gain and loss. Ah, beautiful. And, you know, I often, you know, see that, you know, I being a therapist, a psychologist, I work with people, of course, who've had, you know, all sorts of sorts of stressors and traumas in their life. And what's the difference? You know, one person is abused and uh, grows up uh, feeling uh, depressed and anxious and kind of uh, down on themselves and, has lost all the joy of life, their vitality and energy, and spends their life feeling um, in a really a down, one down position. Another person goes through similar or same type of experience, and they realize, you know, that was uh, really an inappropriate uh, way for me to be treated when I was young. I am going to make sure that my life is not like that at all, and instead I am going to uh, educate myself and uh, improve myself and make myself the best possible human being I can and treat other people not like I was treated, but the way I wish I had been treated, and I'm going to make myself and everyone I meet a much better person. Mm -hmm. Same experience. Very different results. Yes. <laughs> and so how in each of our own lives can we wind up cultivating the latter, you know, where even if we went through challenging experiences, we learned from it and learned how to improve ourselves and how to become a really kind of a, a, a beacon of uh, healthy functioning yeah. as opposed to a person who's been, you know, really beaten down by life. Yeah. and has lost all vitality as a result. How, how do we find that in ourselves and, and, and in others? Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Aha, that's the question. How do we do that? And uh, there's one last piece I'd like to get into when they're talking to this old man that was happy, this old uh, sexist man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this, this title should be called, Beginning of the Universe and an Old Sexist Man. <laughs> The reasons for my happiness all men share, but instead they worry over them. It's because I took no pains learning how to behave when I was young and never strove to make my mark when I grew up that I've been able to live so long. It's because I have no wife and sons in my old age and the time of my death is near that I can be so happy. It's human to want long life and death. Why should you be happy to die? And that's, oh, that was a question. It is human to want long life and hate death. Why should you be happy to die? And the old man says, death is to return to where we set out from when we were born. So how do I know that when I die here, I shall not be born somewhere else? How do I know that life and death are not as good as each other? How do I know that it is not a delusion to crave anxiously for life? How do I know that present death would not be better than my past life? Hmm. And that's heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Because I always think about death and I always think, oh, well, it's probably just like life was before I was conscious. 
<laughs> which there was nothing really happening, right? <laughs> or at least nothing you remember. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, you know, I might have been Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> when people always, when they have past lives, they talk about, they're like, well, I was a king or whatever. Or t- I was the prince. They're never like, oh, I was a serf that died of dysentery at 25. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're always Cleopatra or yeah. you know, someone, <laughs> someone like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a little bit of Li Tzu just to um, whet your appetite for some of that. We'll get to his stuff on a, some future shows. Well, here, one more quote from you know, the Li Tzu, okay. which I love. If you can dispense with reputation, then you are free from care. Reputation is only a visitor, but reality is here to stay. Ah. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> so let's see here. How much time we got here? What are we looking at? Okay, we're good. Um, let's see here. We've got, speaking of life and death, uh, we've got chapter 50 of the Tao Te Ching here. And I will give it a little read if that's okay. Okay. Between birth and death, three in ten are followers of life. Three in ten are followers of death. And men just passing from birth to death also number three in ten. Why is this so? Because they live their lives on the gross level. He who knows how to live can walk abroad without fear of a rhinoceros or tiger. He will not be wounded in battle. For him, rhinoceroses can find no place to thrust their horn, tigers no place to use their claws, and weapons no place to pierce. Why is this so? Because he has no place for death to enter. Hmm. Hmm. So the idea is that at the beginning he's saying between like one, uh, three out of ten people are followers of life. That means that they are people who are maybe obsessed with their health. Maybe they're obsessed with um, exercising. They are obsessed kind of um, with, with, with not dying, you know. Um, and three in ten are followers of death. Maybe they are people that uh, they, they abuse themselves, they abuse their body. They, are, they live recklessly and carelessly. And then there are also the people just passing from birth to death, and I was trying to figure out what that meant, so I looked up uh, Derek Lynn's ideas on that. And they were saying that uh, a third, they live a life of indulgence. So they're trying to please all of their senses. So they're kind of indulging in life. So it's either, you know, you are, uh, you're, you're living and, and trying to be too safe because you're a follower of life. You're a follower of death, meaning you're headed right towards uh, death's door. And then, or you're a person overindulging. But... The, the last third person uh, has no place for death. It means they're transcending and living, uh, leaving no room for anything negative or destructive, and they live a life of moderation. They're skillful players in the game of life. Therefore, they're not following to one excess or the other, as we always talk about. Um, they're they're kind of living a life of moderation. And I always joke with my wife when she says, maybe I'm not being too healthy. I say, you know, we got to not wind up on God's radar. <laughs> I say, you know, it's the people who try too hard to be healthy that I always end up getting a, a weird disease. And it's mm. the people who are obviously unhealthy that have a cardiac arrest by the age <laughs> of 50. And then, and then there are people who skate by in the middle, don't cause any attention to themselves, and God won't zap them, you know. He won't, won't strike them down. And I don't know if it's true. It's what was it Belmar always says. I don't know if it's true, but I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Those things. 
That's why I, I love that la- this last passage here. You know, he who knows how to live can walk abroad without fear of rhinoceros or tiger. He will not be wounded in battle. <laughs> uh, the rhino can find no place to thrust their horn. The tiger, no place to use their claws. And weapons, no place to pierce. Why is this so? Because he has no place for death to enter. Yes. Yeah. It's like he stepped outside. Remember, what I was talking about stepping outside of time and space. Yeah. And, and of course, just being one with the Tao, with all that there is. Then, you know, things happen or they don't. You know, But our fear of them happening doesn't invite them. Yeah, yeah. Because fear is almost like a broadcasting of our vulnerabilities. Oh, it's like we, when we were saying on the last show, you know, a uh, tough guy is actually scared guy. Mm-hmm. And he's projecting that to the room, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's why when I look around and I look at, you know, particularly politicians and they're yelling and screaming about how great they are and how much they've done. Um, I can't think of anyone in particular. <laughs> you know, it's like, me think thou dost protest too much, yes? Right. <laughs> because, you know... It, you know, the, the Lao Tzu always gave advice to rulers to be modest, to, to use a quiet voice, to get things done, to get things taken care of, you know, kind of make sure that the, you know, the trains are on time, so to speak, yeah. and, and that the, you know, the, the people have everything they need for a good harvest. You see, then every, everything is going to take care of itself without them having to go out there and brag, well, look what I did, and it was me. Yeah. Um, because th- that's that's a sign of someone who uh, is feeling very uh, un- uncertain of themselves and has to use all this braggadocio a- as a way to cover that deep feeling of insecurity. Yeah. Where someone who has more self-confidence just gets the job done and the thing speaks for itself. It doesn't lay claim to it as they don't Lao have, Tzu would say. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to be, try to take credit uh, for everything. And um, that, that's more of a, a Taoist way of, uh, of governance. And there's something great when, when the Taoists talk about gov- uh, governance and leadership is that they, they don't want the leader to be something that's a focal point of all of our daily lives and conversations, right? They want no. the, the leader to be in the background. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and it's, it's, I think it's a much better thing for society and humanity that we go through our lives worrying about uh, things that aren't necessarily having to do with governance and all that. that. You know, it feels like that should be fifth on the list of priorities that I think about every day. Mm-hmm. But the way the news is, the way the media is, the way... Th- Leaders act in the way they need to be at the forefront of everything. They try to make themselves the the face of the country. Yes. When the face of the country should be me and you and everybody walking around. And we should only have to regard those people as a last ditch. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, uh, damn it. You know, something's not going right. We're going to need a politician. But it should be the last thing, right? Like, the politician shouldn't be the first thing or the primal thing um, is... What is a old boss I had, Bob Moore at ninety-seven point one KLSX, always say? He says, "You know, you're you're putting the uh, the pooping end of the cow first, <laughs> <laughs> right? We should, these people should be the last thing that we need to deal with or think about, and everything else should be taken care of by all of us in harmony and and everything else, you know. But I think the way that we're conditioned, I think humanity is kind of conditioned." to want that figurehead. Either you know, we want a political leader that we put all our faith in or we, we put it in a, a god or we put it in some kind of 
kind of fatherly figure or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think people on some deep level need that. And by so doing, of course, we're setting ourselves up for what? Disappointment. Yes. Right. And that's why we constantly move between kind of glorifying someone and then tearing them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because maybe we hate the fact that we glorify these people in some weird way. Maybe as a, we've got a self-destruct mechanism as human beings where it's like, screw me for, screw you for me needing you. It's like how you know people grow up and they start hating their parents at like 15, right? Because they're dependent on them and they have power over them, right? And they have to distance them. And then when they get old and then they appreciate them again, right. maybe. right. You know, um, one of those um, kind of conundrums of, of life. Yes. You know, that I think that, you know, if we could all just relax, take a deep breath and go, okay, what do I need? What do I really need in order to feel that my life is working? I feel content. I feel serene. And I feel like I have the wherewithal to really reach my life uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and I truly do believe that each of us is here is here for uh, for a reason. The reason being to find, develop, and express that creative life purpose. Because every one of us is different, uh-huh. we're all, which means that each one of us has something really unique to offer, mm-hmm. since we're all different. And so, if we can find that, and if our community can support that, our government and our leaders can create the environment for the people to be content and to find who they are and express that, then society works, Mm -hmm. government works, uh, politics works. But often, as we know, there are special interests whose agenda is quite different than that. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I think that's the source of much of the discontent that we find ourselves experiencing here in our modern world. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Let's go. Do we have time? Let's do it. Why not? Uh, let's go to chapter 56 of the Tao Te Ching. And this is right here. We're playing the hits right now. The first line <laughs> of this is playing the hits. This is, you know, Leonard Skinner doing Freebird. Okay. <laughs> we, we are queen ending with we are the champions right here. <laughs> chapter 56. Those who know do not talk. And those who talk do not know. Keep your mouth closed. Guard your senses. Temper your sharpness. Simplify your problems. Mask your brightness. Be at one with the dust of the earth. This is the primal union. He who has achieved this state is unconcerned with friends and enemies, with good and harm, with honor and disgrace. This, therefore, is the highest state of man. Hmm. So I will ask you this question, Dr. Totten. In the beginning, those who know do not talk, and those who talk do not know. Does that mean actions speak louder than words, or people who know what's going on keep it to themselves? <laughs> well, I, I think you kind of hit a point there. You know, remember we were talking about how, you know, the, the insecure politician has to talk about how much they have done all the time. You know? Whereas, like as you just alluded to, if, if actions really speak louder than words, then... You know, there's nothing to say. Yeah. You know, what what you did, the cre- the conditions that you created, are already doing all the speaking that is necessary, and you can't miss it. You can't miss it. But I think in the absence of that, 
using essentially kind of a misdir verbal misdirection. Yeah. You know, people have to say, well, look what I'm doing. I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And it becomes very tiring after a while yes, yes. You know, to hear, you know, somebody just bragging so much incessantly about what they've done. And, and of course, if they've done all these great things, then those who have not done are somehow terrible people. Right? right, yeah. And so they're always drawing distinctions between me and what I've done and you, what you haven't done, <laughs> yeah. or what you've done wrong. You know, me, what I've done right, and you, what you've done wrong. And that just creates what? Disharmony. Yeah. Disharmony, confusion, anger, resentment. And um, unfortunately, I think that in this world, we have uh, an industry, <laughs> industries based on those uh, emotions, mm -hmm. th those feelings. The outrage industry, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at the media. Yeah. We know that in the news, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so we keep thinking that the world is as bad of a place as it's just con consistently bad and getting worse, we always think, when studies show that things are only getting better and better and better in terms of violence in the world and war right. and poverty. Right. Things are much better than they used to be, but right. people think things are getting worse just because every day you're getting hit over the head. you know. Particularly when it was social media, right, mm -hmm. between you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these things. You know, every little thing that is um, out of balance somehow gets magnified and reported and, and retweeted millions of times, oh, yeah. right, in minutes. And, and so we have a very skewed sense of reality these days. And um, I, I wonder sometimes what this is going to ultimately lead to. You know, are we, are we going to you know, have uh, you know, chips implanted in our brain where we have immediate <laughs> you know, communication and oh, you know, yeah. with, oh, with, no, with probably. great media <laughs> at all times? Minutes, yeah. you know? I mean, what's the difference between it being your hand or injected into your brain? It's, the thing is there already. It's, it's disturbing. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I love and hate all of it. You know? There's so many great things that, you know, our show is able to get out to the world because of this technology, mm -hmm. right? And at the same time, there's so many destructive forces that are, you know, it's gasoline on the, the fire, a lot of destructive things that come through and the same channels. Right. And that's why I really think that, we, that this technology is actually imposing a, re a requirement on us to become far more discerning of the value of, what we're, of where things are coming from and how we respond to it, because yes. we, we're, everybody's being triggered all the time now, yeah. and uh, there are whole industries based on that triggering because they have something to sell you when you're triggered. Yeah. <laughs> because when you're upset, you're going to buy something that either reinforces your biases, you know, or something to make you feel better temporarily until you get triggered again, and then you have to keep taking their product, whatever it is, in order to continue to be. Okay. Or you let other people take your power from you yes. by, by getting you outraged. And then there's somebody to go, well, you know what? You know, if you talk about a politician, or I'm the only way that we can get back at these people that are triggering you. And now you need to follow yes. me yes. because you're in danger. And people are having these emotional reactions to these things. That's why I love what Lao Tzu says here. Keep your mouth closed. <laughs> Guard your senses. Temper your sharpness. Simplify your problems. Mask your brightness. Be at one with the dust of the earth. This is primal union.
Yeah, so I mean, if you if you were to take it in a modern way, it's like keep your mouth closed. You know, eh, maybe maybe you don't need to post that on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guard your senses. Be careful about what media you're you're undertaking mm-hmm. and the amount of it, yes, and where it's coming from and how it's trying to manipulate you. That's that discernment that I was referring to a moment ago. Yeah, and be at one with the dust of the earth, and that's be hopefully fully Im- immersed in what's going on around us instead of what's happening in our phone. Um, yes. I've found that there's this app, and it's like the, the screen time app, mm-hmm. and it tells me each week how much time I spend looking at my phone. Yes. And it encourages me to put it down, <laughs> you know, and, and to not look at it and, and, and to, you know, have, get, get up in the morning and look at it and see what's going on in the news that day and, ho- and then hopefully shut it down till later, you know. Yeah, I consider my week a success if every week I've been doing less and less time, <laughs> you know, on the, on the phone. Yeah. That's a successful week. Yes. Oh, I was 20% less. Oh, great. You're, you're, you're 20% better, you know. Right, because I meant that 20% of the time I was probably interacting with people, mm-hmm. experiencing some something, you know, real life, yeah. you know, rather than this kind of artificial, you know, electronic uh, life that we've become addicted to. Yeah. I, you know, I was at a, I was at a, a party. It was like a graduation party for this, like, uh, 18-year-old girl graduating high school. And uh, I was sitting around. I was looking. There was a table of, of teenagers, and there's maybe about 10. And I, you know, and part of me doesn't want to think this way because I feel like it's old man get off my lawn kind of <laughs> thought. But also, I was sitting there, and each one, the whole time, for an hour that I sat and I saw these kids interacting, they were look, they had their phone in their hand, the yes. entire neck down, phone in hand, and were communicating with each other wow. via that phone, sending each other a meme or a joke. And I get that there's a, a human connection there, and there is something cool about being more connected to more people through this technology but there was something like in the moment it was like it wasn't that these people maybe didn't know how to interact it's just that's how people interact it's just how it's done right and i was like it seemed very wrong and not human to me mm-hmm. now i might be wrong this might be the best darn conversation these people ever had in their life mm-hmm. i don't know but just from the outside it looked kind of frightening yeah there's something mechanical about it that's um that doesn't set right with me. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Because it's not real people talking with each other. They're kind of talking through their phones, communicating through an electronic device with other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah. And there's never any human, true human connection. And you gotta you got to wonder how that, in one way, allows us de- to dehumanize others. Mm-hmm. And then in another way, allows us to come in contact with people we never mm-hmm. would have in viewpoints right. we, we wouldn't have. Right. Uh, to then say, hey, look, this guy on the other part of the world is just as human as I. And that's where it's going to require on our parts, again, that, that finer degree of, of uh, discernment. So that we can, we can take what's useful and connects us and let go of that which distances us and puts us in opposition to each other. We have to figure that out. Yeah, there should be almost like a class uh, in kind of a digital um, discernment mm-hmm. and, and media discernment and mm-hmm. being able to understand mm. what it is we're being fed. Mm. Like in classes, just like, you know, by the, by the time you're in sixth grade, you know, the teacher can go, hey, look, this is, this is, this is the BS, this is out here. Here's how to be better citizens in social media. Because it's a new world we're living in, you know. Like it or not, half of everybody's 
there right now interacting with people as we speak. Why not learn how to be better citizens than that? If it's the same way we learn how to be a better citizen just walking down the street, right? Mm -hmm. I heard her, some some person on uh, somewhere the other day said that when he, he has this uh, this kind of practice when he goes out with friends to dinner, they all put their uh, phones in the middle of the table, and whoever touches it first has to pay for everybody's dinner. I love it. <laughs> Isn't that great?